these ancient practices. Lord, don't bog us down with discouragement if there's things we're, we don't know how to do or haven't done, but to continue to convict us and move us that by practicing these ancient disciplines, we'll slowly learn to walk in the fullness of faith with you. In your name we pray, amen. Sustainable Faith Week 4, Meditation and Truth-Telling. Meditation, which we're using to talk about kind of internal prayer, time with Jesus, friendship with Jesus, and truth-telling, that we want to be people speaking truth about race and justice and you know, economic deprivation. Uh, mostly we're talking about today interpersonally, truth-telling into our homes, with our roommates, in our marriages, with our children, with our friends. Meditation and truth-telling. Sustainable Faith Week 4. When I was at Whitworth College, I worked in the chapel. And uh, there's this really iconic cross at the chapel of Whitworth University that was, to me, a, a very significant part of my Whitworth experience. You see, that's most of the cross. There's some kind of thorn uh, in wire. There's stained glass. It was a very beautiful depiction of what Christ was calling me to in college, making me more like him in a long, messy process. And I worked in the chapel for a couple of years. And as part of the job, I got to host the evening uh, prayer time, comp line it was called, just a few times a quarter. And so it was, it was someone else's primary job, but they gave it to me once in a while. And uh, y- you know if you've been coming, like for me it's been a struggle, meditation. Because, and I don't know if I'm alone here, but I'm an activity guy. And a lot of times activity and intimacy could come at odds one to another. That's busy parents or busy couples or people wanting to date more but just so busy with work. A lot of times activity and intimacy had come at odds one to another. And so I'd been very busy in a season at Whitworth College, but I was hosting the evening prayer time. They said, Scott, just come in, put on some music, make space for people to meditate, and then you can meditate yourself. Now, I will confess, I was a little out of practice, and I'd been super busy. So I'd been you know, active but not all that intimate with the Lord. And, and trying to do ministry, young life, and different things, but not really well-versed in just sitting with the Lord in silent spaces. But this night was going to be different. I was going to get my meditation on. So I come into the chapel, my job to you know, turn down the lights, move some furniture, throw some pillows out so everyone can get their meditation with Jesus on, and then play some music. I put on some Yanni. Anyone here remember Yanni, you know, long flowing hair? I mean, that, like, what's better than meditating with Jesus than Yanni? So there's Yanni, there's pillows, there's low light. People come in, not a lot, because oftentimes on a college campus or in a church, if you call people towards activity, gathers a crowd. You call people towards intimacy and to silent and prayer, doesn't gather as much. We don't Often, many of us do this as well. So there wasn't a lot of people that night, but then I kind of settled, settled in, yawning, low light, pillow. I'm like, I want to meditate. You know? and, and as I came to the Lord, instantly I started just like, hey, Lord, can you do this? Can you do this? Because often when we're going to Jesus, oftentimes we kind of have our hands out. We kind of have him wanting to do some stuff. I was like, oh, this isn't actually what meditating is. I actually need to just slow down and be with Christ. And so I slowed down. So Jesus, I want to be with you. Teach me to just long for this time and kind of settle in. It was good. And then there's a, there's a knock on my shoulder, and I'm face down, asleep in the pillow. No Yanni. Lights are full blazing. The room is empty. It's past midnight, and there's a security guard. And he's looking at me. He's like, son, you can't sleep in the chapel, you know? And <laughs> I'm like, I blew it. I blew my, my meditation night. I had such... Big aspirations, but for many of us, this conundrum between activity 
and intimacy with Jesus, we, could, we can feel torn in many places. Today, we're going to talk about meditation, friendship with Jesus, and then as an outflow of like, how do we be truth tellers into interpersonal relationships? And we're going to talk about confession and truth telling, because we're going to be telling the truth to others. We need to practice speaking the truth of our own brokenness in confession. How do these things hang together? We're talking about all these things about growth about wanting to be more like Jesus. This entire series, we're looking at spiritual disciplines that the church has practiced for 2,000 years, not to bog you down with busyness, but to tune into what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants you to grow. Oftentimes in the church, we talk about salvation as event, but the Bible talks about our sanctification, our being more like Jesus as a process, not of earning God's favor, but tuning into what God wants to say to us. You remember the book of John, one of the most profound, statements in the Bible where John says, he must become greater and I must become less. And if there's a tagline to the series, I would say, he must become greater in our lives. I must become less. And when we practice the spiritual disciplines, we're not getting any spiritual brownie points. No, we want to be more like Jesus. How do we do it? We want to grow. Richard Foster says, the life that is to please God is not a series of religious duties. We have only one thing to do, namely experience a life of relationship and intimacy with God. And so today, as we talk about the process of growing in the fullness of relationship with Christ, he must be greater in our life. How will we do that? We're going to talk about meditation. We're going to talk about truth-telling. Now, when we say meditation, for some, it kind of carries like more of an Eastern mindset. Eastern meditation practiced by Eastern faith is about emptying yourself, but not Christian meditation. Christian meditation is about filling ourselves. Remember, he must become greater, I must become less. How might we do that? We meditate on Christ in prayer and in scripture so that he is filling us. We're not emptying ourselves. No, we're saying, Jesus, I want more of you in my life so that my life reflects your glory. We've already got, you know, those of us that are believing in Jesus Christ, we're fully saved, but now we want to enter that process of sanctification that his life is radiating through our life. And so our big idea today as we're talking about meditation and truth-telling is around this ethos of growing in fullness. And here's what I want to just give us as, a, as, as our core statement. It's on your outline. The God of the universe longs to spend time with you. So that you'll be anchored in the truth of his love for your life. And from that place of security, we can be declaring his truth into all the world. We have to first hear who God says we are. We must spend time with him. And from that place of our identity as Christians saved by, saved by grace, that then we go into the world speaking truth to others. Let's take a look first at our inhaling practice. All series long, we're going we're gonna to do an inhaling practice on a paradigm of breathing that to breathe, you both need oxygen, and you breathe out carbon dioxide. So we're talking about an inhaling practice to build your faith and an exhaling practice that will impact the lives of others. The inhaling practice today, meditation focuses us on God's truth. Jesus says there in the scripture that Ruth just read, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, three times Jesus says, it's not an if, if you're a disciple, you will pray. And when you do, go into a room, shut the door and don't babble. Last week we talked about praying for others. That's a different type of prayer. And that's a wonderful type of prayer where you write down your, your list and you keep prayer journals. We had prayer journals here and we sent them home and I wanted to be a church praying for others. But sometimes it can be overwhelming when we pray for others. The other night, 
Heather and I laid in bed and we started praying for people, cancer diagnosis, divorce, sickness. I mean, we went to bed depressed and that's okay because we're called to carry the weight of others. But when we, when we turn to Christ in meditation, we don't want him to do anything for us or for those we love. We just want to be with him. We just say, I, I just want to be with you, Jesus. So often I'm coming to you. I want you to fix this situation. I want you to fix this broken system. I want you to heal. I want you to change. I want you to give. And it's good. It's good. But Christian meditation says, I want to spend time with the God who, who has created me and, and anchor ourselves in the truth of who God says we are. If you look at the book of Genesis, what was the first sin? Oh, it's an apple, and it was Eve, and then it was Adam. They co chose a decision to turn around away from the sustenance of God. But the first sin, you know, predicates that. The first sin was actually Satan speaking doubt into their lives. The serpent, Genesis 3.1. Look it up this week. The, the voice of the serpent is simply to cause us to doubt the voice of who God says we are. The, the serpent, it's just a question. Did God really say not to eat the, the fruit? Did God, did God really say that he would carry you through this time? Did God really say there's a hope beyond our, our material existence? Did God really say at the end of time that he would wipe every tear from Did he really say that? Because the serpent, if he can get us to doubt God's voice in our life, then we start to drift from being people anchored in his truth. And so the enemy is constantly lying to us, getting to doubt the truth of God in our lives. That's why we turn to the scriptures and we turn towards meditation so that we can continue to be anchored in who God says we are without meditating, without praying to God, not with the laundry list of what you want him to do, but just to be with him in small, silent spaces. How will you remember who God says you are? If you're not doing this, if your life's not marked with this, it's not a guilt trip this morning, it's a question. Without meditation, how will you remember who God says you are? Now, that's how we turn to meditation. And people say, well, you know, I like to meditate with the word of God. And that's another wonderful way. You can practice Lectio Divina, an ancient practice of, of reading and repeating scripture. Oftentimes, when many of us turn to the word of God, we're studying. We're studying, we're reading, we're trying to connect the dots, we're underlining. And we're very critical thinking as we read scripture. Not everyone. But for most of us, when we talk about meditation, the, the word of God can definitely be part of our meditation practices but for sure, the piece that must be present is praying to God in small, silent spaces. N.T. Wright says, listening prayer is not only a mystery, but a puzzle. We know we ought to do it, but we aren't quite sure how. So that's why as a church, November 15th, we're going to gather and just practice praying together. Because for many of us, we just, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that Yanni story seems a little funny, but I, you know, I'm kind of out of the practice. I've been active, but I've missed some of the intimacy with the Lord. How do we slow down so that we can experience Jesus in our lives? I got a chance to do a field trip with my little two, and we went down to Seattle Children's Theater to see a play. I'm just going to leave it at that. And I have the five-year-old on my lap, and it's been active, and kids, and field trip, and downtown, and the sack lunch, and the, you know, all the chaos, and we're sitting there in the dark, and, and it's in the dark, in the slowing down, that is finally the five-year-old on my lap, I'm able to just hold his hand. And, and all the activity of being the good dad, of getting down to that place, there actually hadn't been any intimacy. There hadn't been any slowing down. There couldn't be. There, you know, there's just life was busy. 
But in the dark there, watching a play that wouldn't have been my first choice, but just sitting with the child on my lap, holding his hand, it's like, oh, it's been a while. So, so intimacy with Jesus is just where we say, Jesus, I just want to hold your hand for a while. Can, can, can you be present in my life? With, I know we got a lot we're carrying on. Let's look at Psalm 1. What do the scriptures say about how do we actually do this inhale practice of meditation? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates, there it is, on his law day and night. The Hebrew word used there in the original language is a word called hagah, which is actually like you're chewing like a cow chewing on grass, you're chewing on the word of God, you're meditating, you're slowing down, you're digesting, you're really trying to be present to God's law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. Just a couple of thoughts to look at here. If you look at the beginning, blessed is one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company mockers, but... Friends, we will often start to become like those we spend time with. It's just a reality. And so those of us that are dating, we want to choose to date somebody like we want to be with in time because our life is influenced by whose company we keep. Those of us that are married, we say, you know, gosh, I've been active, but if I'm not spending time with the one I'm called to love, we'll drift. Those raising kids, those, you know, caring for adults, you know, you get it. Like, we'll, we'll, our, our lives will reflect those we spend time with. So spend time meditating on the law day and night, and you will become more like Christ. Here's a promise. The person's like a tree planted by streams of water. Just a piece here. Okay, small piece, but a tree doesn't plant itself. Like, you can't make yourself more like Jesus, but you can slow down and pray more. And when you pray, the scriptures say, you will be planted by a stream of water that you could have never planted yourself by because God's heart is to be with us. And so when we slow down our busy lives and just say, God, I want to meditate with you, it's five minutes or it's 30 minutes, I want to really practice this, we will be planted. God will do the work which yields its fruit in season. And I'm sorry about that phrase, in season, because I wish it would be a little quicker I would love to declare, like, when you do this, then the next day this thing happens. And if you're in a rough season this morning, may you be encouraged. The seasons change. They do. The seasons change. The season I'm going through with my young child, the season of loneliness in being single, the season of distance in my marriage, the, single of, uh, the season of insecurity of being retired right now and trying to fade. Like, the seasons change. But the promise is when you meditate on the law of God, when you say, God, I want you to reign in my life, God will plant you. He will strengthen you. He will remake you. And in seasons, there will be, there'll be prosperous times. The seasons will change. And that's just an encouragement for you to just continue to remember that the intimacy with God will continue, that you get through meditating with him as you have an intimacy with God and God gives you a new heart, it'll start to lead to the life of which you desire. Every one of us, if I handed you a piece of paper, what do you desire right now? We desire, you know, fill in the blank, relational or financial, spiritual, you know, just about calling or like whatever it is. But friends, I, I want to encourage you that so often we're thinking about our significance. The significance comes on the far side of intimacy with Jesus. Do not be significant. Seek to be intimate with Jesus. And this has a ton of 
legs for us in our practical everyday relationships. We want significance. And Jesus is calling to meditate with him for intimacy. And from a place of intimacy, we'll grow significance. From a place of intimacy with Jesus, we'll come favor. From a place of significance with the Lord, we'll come work that is more meaningful. But if we don't have intimacy with the Lord, if we're pursuing the significance before the intimacy, we'll be living out of alignment constantly. Asking Jesus to bless the work that we've already committed ourselves to. I want to encourage you, church, do not be significant, be intimate, be intimate. And your significance comes on the far side of that. It's a challenge for most of us in the room because we're, we're good being busy, we're active. But I want to challenge you that activity and intimacy can often miss each other. Blaise Pascal said that all of humanity's problems stem from our human inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And for the introverts in the, in the room this morning, you're like, finally, yes. Vindication. So many extroverts making me feel like a failure. You know, freedom. But no, it's like, this is our problem. It's just like, can we slow down? Can we just back down from the activity in small little degrees and meditate? And when we do, we'll get more trust on who Jesus says we are. Because it's when we're intimate with the Lord, then we're able to build trust. The relationship of growing as a Christian, as we're trying to continue in the sanctification journey, will call us to trust him. This is where God longs to take us into more trust, more dependency. Where does it come from? It comes from intimacy with him. Psalm 73 says, for me, it is good to be near God. Or as James mirrors his promise, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you meditate on God's law, when you meditate slowly to Jesus, when you silently pray to him, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, your trust and your intimacy will grow. It's a promise. It's a promise in the scriptures. This is what growth looks like, that we're trying to listen more instead of constantly speak. And this is where our influence will come from. Joshua 1, 8 and 9 says this, keep the book of law always on your lips, meditate, Hagah, there it is again, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and you'll be successful. Have I not commanded you? And then, oh, there's that verse. I didn't realize that verse 8 connected to verse 9 of Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The, the strength, the success, the courage, the presence of God, I want it. Where do I find it? I find it when I meditate on him. And when I say, God, before the significance, before the victory, before the big game, before the new job, before the relationship, it's got to start with intimacy. Because if I think that intimacy will come on the far side of me having all my needs met, I'm lying to myself. And I'm practicing a heresy that says, as soon as God does this, then I'll put my trust on him. No, not this God. He's saying, trust me now. Meditate with me and let me grow in you. And that's where your strength and your courage and your significance will be on the far side of the intimacy. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we, how do we get more intimacy and, and kind of seek to slow down a bit more? I want to give you four quick tips here. First, find a place and a routine. We talked about this last week with rest. Find a place where you can meditate, where you can slow down. Light a candle or not. It's in the morning. It's in the evening. It's on your way to work. It's Edmonds Beach. It's at your desk. Like packing a workout bag the night before. What will you do in your routine of meditating with God? 
Jesus, help me slow down this week. And I know Tuesday and Wednesday are going to be bananas, but Thursday morning, I want to spend an hour with you. What will you do? Where will you go? Find a place and routine. Secondly, start with gratitude. So often when, we, when, when we're conditioned that when we pray, we just start laying out our request to God. And as a parent, I mean, you've had this experience, right? Where your kid's like, hey, can, dad, can I, hey, can I have the, you know, this, and, you know, whatever. It's like the constant Christmas list and you're like, stop. You know, like, stop. Can we just hang out without you always asking me for things? So in prayer, when you meditate to God, maybe it's five specific things you're grateful for. Maybe it's five relationships that you're going to just pray over God's, you know, in thankfulness. But I want to challenge you, meditating is different than advocacy. It's different than intercessory prayer that we talked about last week. Meditating on God is saying no matter what happens after this moment, God, I want to hold hands with you. I want to be intimate with you. So start perhaps with gratitude. Tip three, take the time you have and make it count. Whatever time you have, in small or big ways, I got to go duck hunting this week. And when you duck hunt, you spend hours and hours in a blind, punctuated by moments of, yes, gunfire and carnage. Like, we're just going to leave that alone. But in the in-between, take the moments you have and meditate. In the drive, in the commute, in the van pool, waiting to pick up your kids, or in the morning before the chaos starts, or in the evening after the chaos subsides, take the time you have and make it count. So often we can feel guilty that we're not meditating more, and then we find ourselves further from God's sanctification and not closer to it. And finally, in times of crisis and doubt and discouragement, meditate on Jesus. I talk to a lot of people that struggle with sleep the older they get, and this is something that Pastor Richard preaches to us all the time with lead pastors. When you're anxious, pray more. And yeah, you can pray, God, fix this and do this, whatever, but you can also just pray, Lord, your peace I receive. Lord, your hope, I assimilate. Lord Jesus, your love, I welcome. And and I promise you, that is a real practical tip. In in crisis, you can meditate on the Lord, and you'll be changed through the experience. Again, many of us need to break either this habit of constant activity or a habit of constantly asking God for stuff in the midst of spending time with him. Will you just spend time with Jesus sometimes without asking him for 10 million things? We, at Christmas morning, we have a tradition at my house. Of course, I have four kids, so Christmas morning is chaos. And, you know, we've often been up late the night before, rapping and building dollhouses, and we can tell you some horrible Christmas Eve stories because we're kind of last-minute folks. But Christmas morning comes early, and the kids are up and jumping and bouncing, and all the, where's all the attention? It's under the Christmas tree. That's where they, you know, to them, it's where, that's the whole thing. But before we do the presents, we start with time together. And there's a coffee cake, and there's a birthday candle for Jesus, and we sing happy birthday, and we gather around a table, and we light candles. And of course, they're thinking under the tree, and we have to constantly align them that what is happening around the table is actually the focus of the morning, gratitude to Jesus meditating on his birth in our lives. And then in time, we'll go to the gifts. We'll go and we'll unwrap, and that'll be part of, you know, that, that's fine. But it starts around the table. When you meditate to Jesus, don't put your hand out for him to put something in it, but just his hand. Would you spend some time, even in the week ahead, 
being with Jesus. He wants to be with you. And I want to use that as our pivot point that when we experience time with the Lord as an inhaling practice, then our exhaling practice, we get to go forth and speak truth to ourselves and to our neighbors and to our world. Again, today we're not talking so much about uh, societal change, so that's part of what Christians need to be called to, but in interpersonal relationships, we're called to be truth tellers. The scriptures call us to be you know, raising families where we're declaring the truth of scripture, where we're speaking truth into our communities. And truth telling often gets a bum rap because we have to ask ourselves, whose truth am I telling? If I'm telling my truth on Facebook, my political you know, leanings that are all of us in the room, we believe what we believe and we think that we believe them rightly. Am I telling my truth or am I trying to tell God's truth to the people I love the most? Truth-telling is about telling God's truth. It's about bringing a gift of who Jesus says that they are or Jesus says who they're becoming. And this external discipline, friends, of truth-telling must be met with an internal conviction to confess when we blow it. Because I don't know, do you know any truth-tellers that just always are telling truth but they really don't receive truth very well? The world won't listen to them. Now, what we're called to meditate with Jesus and be anchored in the truth of who he says we are and then speak truth. And when we blow up, because we will blow it, that we get to model what confession looks like. Confession and truth-telling are married together. No confession, no truth-telling. No truth-telling, no confession. As, as a church, we, we have to be convicted that communities that don't tell the truth or confess sin are superficial, in your dating relationships, in your marriage relationships, in every relationship you have, if you're not telling the truth, if you're not confessing sin, it's merely superficial. And, and so we need to hold each other accountable. We need to says, as the scriptures say, we need to build each other up. Proverbs 15, 23 marries this truth-telling and confession paradigm. Then 50, Proverbs 15, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? That we as disciples of Christ, we have to be moving not just on the event of our salvation, but on the process, which means at times we're going to help others see where they're missing some of God's best in their life, and we have to be looking for where we need to be shaped. Who's speaking truth to us? You know, those that are good speakers need to be good listeners. Recently, I was speaking somewhere. I had a microphone in my hand, and there's a room full of people, and I was convicted that there were some things that I was missing in my own presence with my family. And this is where we get to say to the people we love, I love you, so change, because God wants to do more in your life. But communities that don't tell the truth or confess sin are superficial. Dallas Willard says this about confession. He says, confession is a discipline that functions within fellowship. In confession, we let trusted others know our deepest weaknesses and failures. This will nourish our faith in God's provision for our needs through his people, our sense of being loved, and our humility before our brothers and sisters. Nothing is more supportive of right behavior than open truth. We have to be able to to speak God's truth when God lays it out into people that we love and hear God's truth and confess when we miss it. There's this staggering story in the life of David. David, a man after God's own heart that is, you know, all that God wanted him to be who blows it in his life. You could watch his life in both 1 Samuel as he's becoming the king and 2 Samuel. And David takes his place of kingship to miss the truth in his life. 
We know, we know the story. Bathsheba, he commits adultery with his, with his neighbor's wife. And then, like so many of us fall into the trap in the place of conviction, instead of getting back on the process of confession and truth-telling and more of Jesus in his life, when he's convicted, he drops into shame and, and self-medicating by his power and going further from transformation. All of us at times will see our own brokenness. We have to if we're human. The thing is, what will you do with that? There's a difference between conviction and shame. And so David's convicted of what he's done with his neighbor's wife. And instead of truth-telling, confession, he he sends her her husband, Uriah, where does he send her? Off to die. David self-medicates with his ability to control other people's lives. And he commits not just adultery, but murder. And this is a man after God's own heart? Well, that's good news for all of the sinners in the room. And I won't, show, I won't ask for a show of hands, but y'all would be included. All right, so what, is, what happens in David's life where he starts to change? As he starts to confess, as he starts to look at truth, he has people in his life that will tell him the truth. Nathan the priest, this is 2 Samuel 12, and I'm sorry I'm freaking out, but I love this. It's so good. David burned with anger against the man. Pause here. Nathan the priest has told him a parable about a man and sheep. So David the king wants to believe he's truthful. We all want to believe the best about ourselves. So Nathan tells him a story in the kingdom, and David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord says. I anointed you as king. I delivered you. I gave you a house. I gave you wives. I gave you the land. And if it had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing evil in his eyes? Truth. And then what will it do in David's life, this man after God's own heart? He moves in conviction to confession. And David says in verse 13 of 2 Samuel, I have sinned against the Lord. And the change begins. The confession begins. All of us will see the gap in our lives. From where we're at to where God is moving us, we will. If we're we're looking at all. If we're intimate at all with ourselves and others, we will we'll see the truth. The question is, what do we do with it? Do we continue to confess and move more into who Jesus wants us to be? Or will we get into the shame, you know, kind of self-medication style, just check out and miss the transformation? At the end of David's life, David stands before the Lord. He lays before the Lord. He's very sick. And he says, here I am, Lord. Holy and blameless in your sight. It's staggering. Didn't, does he not see the truth? He, remember just 20 chapters before? There was infidelity. There was murder. How can he say that? It's audacious. Because he confessed. And he did the work of repentance. And he owned his stuff. And so he could say at the end of his life, I've lived a good life. You won't live a perfect life. But may you be a truth teller, and when you've heard the truth about something that you're missing, may you confess and change. I love you, so change, says the Lord Almighty. How does it happen? It happens in intimacy. This is, I've got this good friend, and we were hanging out last winter, and we took pictures. We were down, he was tourists. We took pictures down at the, the Mopop. And afterwards, he was looking at the picture, and he kept enlarging. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I can't believe how heavy I've gotten. 
Like, I haven't seen it until this picture. Like, it's the wrong angle, whatever. And I was trying to, like, well, yeah, you, you know, you've added some weight, but let's work out or whatever, you know. And, and he saw it, though. And he had an opportunity to continue to change or to go back and, like, be stuck in whatever. And he said, I'm not going to live like that. He started to do the work of changing his life, dropping weight, being healthier. What's the point? Four tips I want to give you of letting truth-telling penetrate your life. Tip one, regularly pray for God's truth to penetrate your heart. Pray, Jesus, what do I need to see that I'm missing? Secondly, surround yourself with truth-tellers. You need a mentor or you need somebody, you need a small group, you need a connect group, you need women you walk with, moms or dads, you know, once a month, you and some guys from college where you're truth-telling over, you know, a beverage. I don't know what it looks like, but you need to surround yourself with truth-tellers that will hold up a mirror for you and say, how are you doing at this transformation process? Third, start with who God says you are and then move to conviction about where you need to change. Start with who God says you are, not the enemy speaking shame and condemnation nation, but God, who do you say I am, and then where do you want me to change? And finally, this, do not get overwhelmed. Most transformation just happens tiny little steps at a time. And so if you see big gaps of what God wants to do with you, start today with the truth of making one small change. Recently, people that I love have been helping hold a mirror up. Scott, it's, it's a little busy right now. It's a little active. Too much activity, not enough intimacy. And, and so I, I'm needing to practice that. How does, what's the antidote to that? For me, it's, it's more empathy of taking time to listen and be present to those that God has asked me to be my number one priority. I can't be a truth teller out in the community if I'm not a truth liver in my own home. And so more empathy. And yesterday, you know, like, here we go again. It's the seven-year-old, and she's screaming at the big sister, and all this is going on, and everything in me wants to just freak out. And I went in once patiently, please stop screaming. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm practicing my both best coping mechanisms, and I go back to, you know, whatever my own business is. I'm getting ready to leave, and then there's more screaming, and there's a slamming and whatever, and then I go in, and I just want to lose it. I do, but I'm like, more empathy, more change, more presence, God, with the one you, I got it. Okay, I open the door, and I'm like, what's going on? And she's you know, stomping her foot and sister this, and blah, blah, you know, and I'm again, I'm ready to lose it, but I'm like, let's see if this empathy thing works. Honey, how are you feeling? So I'm feeling mad. And again, I'm ready to lose it, but then I just get down on my, I'm like right here in her face. And as I put my arms around her, I said, tell me about it. And we held each other. And she said about, you know, the headband and the sister and this and that. And then after about 30 seconds, it's over. And she says, thanks, Dad. And she skips down the hall. <laughs> okay, here's the thing, all right? Unless I would slow down and be intimate, I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't have seen it. I couldn't have tuned into it. we got to slow down. we got to be present and, and meditate on God's law and spend time with Jesus and then moving to be truth-telling and confessing in our own lives that when we've blown it, because we will, we say, Jesus, continue to make me a man or a woman after your own heart. That's the change that he's after. That's the encouragement this morning he wants to give you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church and these people. And we pray, Lord, in, in the journey of all of these disciples here present, that they would hear your voice speaking through the chaos of their lives. That, Lord, that you would push the enemy's doubts and discouragements away this morning and they would hear from you who they were created to be. 
They, they would hear about their goodness. They would hear about their beloved stature. They, they would hear about all that you want to do in their own heart. And from that place of intimacy, Lord, would you continue to move all of us as a church to be truth tellers who can model the practice of telling truth by receiving truth through our own lives, that we might be on a process of being more like you, Jesus. We want to be more like you. You must become greater in our lives, Jesus. We want to become less. Teach us to dial back the activity in whatever small ways we can and ramp up efforts of intimacy. We want to sit with you, Lord. We want to be present to you. Would you continue to make us all that you want to do? In your great name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us as we close in song and as we do, I'll remind you, prayer team members are available in the back at the end of service if you're longing to pray with someone. Let's continue in song. <laughs>